Ladies and gentlemen, in your lifetime and in my lifetime, we have gone all the way in the culture from Madonna singing Papa Don't Preach into the churches and the churches are saying preachers don't preach. The time will come when they will have itching ears and they will turn their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables myths. But Paul gives a word concerning apostasy and with a note of urgency he says to the young preacher, Preach the word! That's what God wants the preacher to do in this day. When you get there, will you stand with me? I'd just like to publicly testify. He's never disappointed me. Never disappointed me. He's not only there, but thank God He's here this morning. Amen? So honored to be here and humbled to preach. And I appreciate this church and Brother Charles and what a friend he is to so many preachers in a world where so often that's not the case. Brother Charles, you're a blessing because of how you love other preachers. And I love you. I'm going to try my best to be obedient this morning and I want you to Follow along as we look in James chapter 2 and begin there in verse number 1. James writes and says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are you not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Listen to verse 5 carefully. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which He hath promised to them that love Him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? Thank you. You may be seated. May God bless the public reading of His Word. I covet your prayers this morning. I want to speak to you for just a few minutes on this thought. Pride and prejudice... Missing the kingdom of God at the door of the church. Pride and prejudice. Missing the kingdom of God at the door of the church. Can we pray together please? Father, you know my heart. My desire is to be obedient. And God, I am only speaking of the things today that you have already taken and used in my life. Oh, I confess God, you've convicted me with your word. But I pray that today you'd take the mirror of Scripture and show us in our hearts where we may be going astray. Help us today, Jesus. I promise I don't want to rob you of the glory. I want you to be glorified. I pray when we leave today, we'd be mindful. that When your sweet Spirit is near, He desires to work in our lives. Help us to listen in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Many years ago, there was a medieval theologian who was visiting Rome. His name was John Scotus. And the Pope was escorting him through all of the Vatican's treasuries. And he was pointing at all that money and all those assets, and he said, no longer does the church have to say, silver and gold have I none. 
To which Scotus replied, That's true, but also no longer can we say, In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. In 2,000 years, the church has moved from catacombs to cathedrals, from prison cells to worship centers, from upper rooms to arenas. These days, celebrities accept awards on TV with diamond crosses dangling from their necks. Drug-enhanced athletes thank Jesus for the ability to hit a baseball. We've come a long way, but I wonder sometimes, have we come in the right direction? Could it be this morning that in our efforts to pack our pews and to build our buildings, that we have misunderstood the kingdom of God completely? In the second chapter of his book, Brother James deals with an issue that was as contemptible in the first century as it is common in the 21st century. James speaks to all of us this morning and he warns us about living out our faith while practicing a sinful favoritism toward the elite of our society. Look at what he says in verse 1 again. My brethren, have not or do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. I believe this text calls for us as God's people to examine ourselves and to see that if through pride and prejudice we might be missing the kingdom of God at the very doors of our churches. Look at this passage with me and let's listen to Brother James. I think first of all he points us here to a scene that is sadly common in the church of God. A scene that is sadly common in the church of God. Look at verse 2. James sets up a hypothetical situation that if we're honest doesn't require a whole lot of imagination to connect to reality. The setting is what James calls in verse 2 your assembly. So this is just a typical Sunday morning service. And on this particular Sunday, two very different visitors show up for church. And based on the contrast between these two men, they are greeted and treated very differently by the people in the church. Now might I just say that church ought to be the one place where anybody and everybody is somebody. But as James's story reveals, and as is too often the case, many times the church is just as segmented and just as segregated as the sin-sick world around it you to notice a couple things about this scene that James describes. Notice the characters described in this scene. Verse 2, James says, For if there come into your assembly a man with a gold ring in goodly apparel. The first character in this story is Mr. Goldfinger. The original text actually refers to him as a gold-fingered man. He's wearing a nice robe and his gold rings on every finger are status symbols in the first century. Perhaps if this story were told today, this man would step out of a chrome-covered SUV wearing a three-piece tailored suit, checking his Rolex to see if he's on time for the service. He's the first character, but then there's a second character in the story. Look at verse number 2 again. And there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. The word translated vile there is the same word that James uses and is translated as filthiness in verse 21 of the first chapter. 
This man comes in and his clothes are poor and shabby and dirty. He walks up to the church from off of the street. His outfit looks as if he slept in it and it probably smells as bad as it looks. Those are the two visitors on that particular Sunday morning. But there's another character in the story. It's the greeter who meets them when they come into the church. Look at verse 3. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay, or that is the fine clothing. And you say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place. And you say to the poor, Stand thou here, or sit here under my footstool. What happens is this socially savvy, seeker-friendly usher escorts the man in his expensive suit to a prominent and comfortable pew and he says to the poor man, you just sit back there in the back or sit on the floor if you'd like. That are the, these are the characters in this scene and would to God we could not so easily see this very same scenario played out in any given church on any given Sunday. That's the characters described in this scene, but think about the conduct described in this scene. The conduct in this scene. You don't have to know Greek or understand systematic theology to figure out what's going on in this scene that James describes. This illustration is a a, a picture of the very sin that James is condemning in verse 1. It's the sin of showing favoritism toward a particular person or to a particular group of people. It is as James says, holding your faith in Jesus Christ while being a respecter of persons. What it amounts to is claiming that Jesus died for all while proclaiming that only to a select group of people. Let's be honest, if we're not careful, this hypothetical scene will become a practical reality in our churches. We will begin to target just a select group or a select class of people. We will witness to and welcome into our churches only those who look like us and talk like us and live where we live and act like us and think like us. And we will become these little cookie cutter fellowships that better resemble country clubs than Christian congregations. And while we will have cultural uniformity, we will not have Christian unity. See, James is describing this practice of showing favoritism for a particular group. Mark Twain said that prejudice is the ink with which all history has been written. I don't know that that's true, but based on how common this scene is, you might could say that prejudice is the ink with which most church membership roles have been written. There's a scene that is sadly common in the church of God. There is something about this 2,000 year old illustration that is disturbingly and definitely familiar. There's not only though here a scene that is sadly common in the church of God, but notice number two, James points us here to a sin that is soundly condemned by the Word of God. A sin that is soundly condemned by the Word of God. You do understand this morning that favoritism toward a particular class of people, a particular kind of people, that is something that is completely contrary to the character of our God. Peter said in Acts 10.34, God is no respecter of persons. 
Early on in Leviticus 19.15, God commanded His people about how they were to look at other people. He says, Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty, but in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. This favoritism of this snooty usher in verse 3 is a practice that is condemned by the Word of God. It's ungodly and it's unholy. What's involved in this sin? Well, I would say two things. One, it involves viewing people superficially. Viewing people superficially. Verse 4, James asked this. He asked two questions. The first is this one. Are you not then partial in yourselves? That phrase partial in yourselves literally means to create distinctions or divisions among one another. So James' question is, when you show favoritism, have you not created divisions, distinctions among yourselves? Oh, by seating the rich man and sliding the poor man. This usher had created a distinction between two men that was wrong and was unwarranted by the gospel that usher claimed to believe. What caused this distinction? It goes back to verse 1. Look at that phrase, respecter of persons, or keeping the faith with respect of persons. That phrase is translated, and it literally means to focus on the face. So what happened was this usher, on this particular Sunday morning, judged these two men and classified them based solely on what he saw of them on the outside. He viewed them superficially rather than spiritually. Be honest, we too are tempted to size people up based on what we see of them on the outside. So much in life, in our judgments of people, is based on their appearance and even their apparel. But contrary to that sort of judgment standard, superficial, the Lord said to the prophet Samuel in 1 Samuel 16, 7, The Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. Oh, there's a little poem that says, For many people go to church as everybody knows. Some go to close their eyes, and others to eye their clothes. Say amen. Somewhere we got to learn to stop viewing people superficially and judging them by their appearance. You understand, don't you? The fellow with the tie may be no more spiritual than the fellow with a dirty t-shirt. Viewing people superficially. But what else is involved in this sin? It's not only viewing people superficially, viewing people selfishly. Look at the second question in verse 4. Have you not then become judges of evil thoughts? James says when we distinguish between people and we classify them based on what we see of them on the outside, we literally become judges who have evil thoughts or evil motives. What are the motives? Based on this story, it has to be greed. The rich man is schmoozed and the poor man is shunned and it's because they thought the rich man might drop a fat check in the offering plate. One writer commented, listen, one writer commented on this text, Charles, this spoke to my heart. He said, one of the dangers of the church is looking for people who can help us rather than looking for people we can help. Oh, God help us. When we are more worried about budgets than baptisms, and when we are more worried about finances than faithfulness, we will begin to judge people superficially and selfishly. 
read about a poor cleaning lady who started visiting the fashionable uptown first church. And she told the preacher, I want to join your church. But he was worried about how his influential members might feel sitting on the same pew with a lady who scrubbed their floors. So he, he pulled her aside and tried to use a little strategy. He said, you go home and you talk to God about joining my church and then come back and tell me what he says. Well, he never saw her again. And one day he walked into a building where she happened to be cleaning the floor and he felt a little guilty and he said, Ma'am, why have you never come back? She said, Preacher, I did what you said. I went home and talked to God about it. He told me not to worry about joining your church that he'd been trying to get into your church for 20 years. Listen, it's a sin. It's a sin to view people superficially and selfishly. I want to say one more thing though. James in this text points us not only to a scene that is sadly common in the church of God and a sin that is soundly condemned by the Word of God. Number three, and this is what I believe is the heart of this passage. There is here a system that is severely counter to the plan of God. Listen carefully. A system that's severely counter to the plan of God. Look closely at verse 5. James says, Hearken, my beloved brethren. He pauses to get special attention as he's writing. He says, Hath God not chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which He promised to them that love Him? And then look at verse 6. But ye have despised the poor. James calls for close attention. And then he describes the nature of God's plan for the world and the makeup of the kingdom that he is building. And then in verse 6, he condemns the church for working in a way that was completely counter to that system. He says, your mode of operation is completely counter to God's mode of operation. You're going in a different direction than his kingdom is. Can I tell you, the heart of this passage, there is an indictment against the church who would follow the same values of a sinful culture, all along forgetting the truth about what God's kingdom really looks like. Let me show you what I mean. Look at this system. Think about who this system favors. Verses 6 and 7, James is pointing out an irony that was true of the first century and is still in many ways true today. He says, you are despising, dishonoring the poor and the needy. And while you're dishonoring the very people God has chosen, He says the people you are courting, the rich people you are courting are some of your worst enemies. Look at what He says in verse 6. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Verse 7. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? The early church was made up primarily of poor peasants and servants. They were the bottom of the societal rung. And very often the wealthy and the upper class of that early century would abuse them and, and hold them under. James asked them a good question. He says, why are you so interested in gaining the pleasure and approval of the very people who are opposing you and oppressing you? Listen, there is a temptation and a tendency that is as old as the church. And the temptation and the tendency is for the church to try to be cool and attractive to the mainstream of our society. 
to try to appeal to the mainstream. So what happens is we try to appeal to the educated, upper class, socially stylish of our society. We try to fill our buildings with the Starbucks and sushi crowd with their PDAs and polos who leave gated communities to drive by ghettos and sit on pews. And we do it because we think if we get enough upwardly mobile yuppies in our building that it will validate us to the world around us. And the world will say, Hey, look at that church down there. They must have arrived. The only problem is so very often that's the very crowd who opposes the presence of the church in the world and who would publicly scoff at the exclusivity of the gospel that we preach. Somewhere we've got to learn the Bible's never going to make Oprah's book club. And the church will never ever be cool in a society that sees the cross of Jesus as silliness. We're never going to be mainstream. We're never going to be cool. We're always going to be standing on the sidelines lifting up the old banner while the world scoffs at what we do. This system is contrary to the plan of God because of who it favors, but stay with me. It's not only contrary to the plan of God because of who it favors. It's contrary because of what this system forgets. Who this system favors, what this system forgets. In this text, and this is what gripped my heart, James is rebuking the church because they were working from a fundamental misunderstanding about the truth of God's kingdom. Look again at verse 6. He says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, listen to what I say. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He hath promised to them that love Him? See, while these, these early church members were fawning after the rich, they were forgetting the very words of their Savior. Jesus said in Luke 6.20, Blessed be ye poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. He preached in his home synagogue, Luke 4.18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. John said, Should I look for another? And Jesus said, Go back and tell him that the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. And did you hear that last night? The poor have the gospel preached unto them. Oh, as much as it stings our egos to hear it, we need to be reminded of how Paul described the church. 1 Corinthians 1.26 For you see your calling, brethren. Look around, he says. How that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. If we're not careful, we will begin to value the same select people and the same shallow principles of a lost and pagan society. And we will forget, listen, we will forget that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, is primarily made up of the kind of people that this world overlooks and undervalues. We need to be reminded that Jesus Christ is putting together His bride and that the people that make up that bride yes. probably look a lot less like a rich man in a BMW and more like a single mom in a station wagon full of kids. Christ is building His kingdom. And that kingdom will more likely include a callous-handed mechanic 
with his name on his shirt than a well-dressed executive with his name on the office. Are you listening to me this morning? We have forgotten what the kingdom of Christ really looks like. James is not telling us that no rich man will ever be saved. Nor is he saying that all poor men are automatically saved. But he is telling us that the overall makeup of the kingdom of Christ are people just like us. Just like us when we haven't forgotten who we really are. When we hadn't got too big for our britches. When we remember that we're just poor lost sinners who apart from the grace of God would have absolutely no hope. Oh, the plan of God for His church is as He said in the parable, Luke 14, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. That's our crowd. People talk about who's your crowd. That's my crowd, the poor. His crowd, I don't need to be accepted. I don't need to have society applaud me. I just want to serve the kingdom till I meet the king. Oh, Jane Austen published that novel Pride and Prejudice and one of her themes in that book is that social status and money are not necessarily advantages in the world. But you and I both know that the world values those things and they are an advantage. But there's one place where your last name, your W-2, the tag inside your coat, your car, your tax return don't mean anything. In the house of God, in the church of the living Lord Jesus, there are no rich and poor. They all come together and they're one in Him who had no place to lay His head. The King of the kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ. D.L. Moody had a sign that he hung on the door of his church in Chicago. It said this, Ever welcome to this house of God are the strangers and the poor. May it be that we don't, through our pride and prejudice, miss the very kingdom of God at the door of the church. Will you pray with me? Sweet Jesus, I love You. Thank You for the opportunity to preach. I want a glory in Your presence. But oh God, You've indicted my heart. Help us not to chase the very classes and culture that despise us. But may we understand that Your kingdom is made up of the kind of people the world disregards. Lord, the well don't need a physician, the sick do. Help us, God, to follow Your kingdom and to serve You, Lord Jesus, with a pure heart. We ask it in Christ's sweet name. Amen. Appreciate that kind of preaching.